Welcome to season six of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Group Thinkers is a podcast created by Arcady Group, which is a multi-channel marketing and fundraising services company. And on each and every episode of Group Thinkers, we chat with innovators and uh, folks in the nonprofit marketing space that are doing things differently, tackling today's marketing challenges with a unique perspective. So this episode in particular is interesting because it launches our newest season, our sixth season of Group Thinkers. And um, I'm thrilled for this block of episodes that we're going to be releasing over the next couple of months. It's all about Generation X. So recently, Arcady Group has published its uh, a first of its kind look at Gen X and their philanthropic behaviors. Uh, the study provides you with comparisons and contrasts of Generation X to boomers and millennials and unpacks their mindsets, their uh, their outlook on supporting nonprofits, what sort of nonprofits they're most influenced by, and some of the motivations behind their giving. The full study, by the way, it's available at rkdgroup.com slash GenX. So just want to encourage you that you should go and check that out, uh, download the study, and, and would love to hear from you afterwards and, and hear some of your thoughts. So so the study, you know, we we wanted to capture and understand this emerging group of donors in a new way. And we hope it provides you with a new look at how to message to younger donors, who they are and, uh, and where they are. Uh, they're out there. They're looking for connections to purpose-driven organizations and organizations that solve uh, problems, right? So, so during this episode, uh, we're going to welcome a new voice to group thinkers in addition to two guests. And this episode in particular is is uh, tied into the digital divide. But on each every each and every episode in season six, you're going to hear not only from me, but you're also going to hear from uh, a voice that is has been behind the scenes at Arcady Group, and that's Ronnie Richard. Ronnie is uh, one of our leads for content. So if you read our blogs and you see our videos and obviously the group thinkers and, and all of our pieces, Ronnie is a, a voice behind the scenes on those. And so you're going to hear Ronnie's voice throughout this and engaging this Gen X conversation. Super excited to have him on the show. Featured on this episode are two of the brightest digital minds in nonprofit marketing. So Tim Kuchuriak is one. He is the founder and chief innovation and optimization officer for Next After, a digital marketing firm that works with nonprofits. And also super excited to welcome and feature on this episode, Jared Schrimmer, vice president of digital and media strategy at RKD Group. So I've, I've worked alongside Jared now for for a decade and uh, and known Tim just as long. And uh, so in some ways, this is uh, this is friends getting together and chatting. Uh, colleagues getting together uh, and and chatting and and it's really interesting to hear their complementary perspectives and how they look at the digital divide that connects and separates Gen X. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, be sure to uh, drop us a line afterwards. You can always drop us a line through any of our social feeds and uh, let us know what you think. We're super uh, interested to hear your thoughts on this and the Gen X study. But for now. Here's Tim Kachuriak and Jared Schremer on Group Thinkers. All right, so here we are. Uh, I've gathered two of the brightest minds in digital marketing for nonprofits. 
Uh, we happen to be, I don't know, I'm going to guess maybe three to four miles apart as the crow flies. Uh, but, you know, I've got with me today, Tim Kachuriak and Jared Schrimmer. Gentlemen, welcome to Group Thinkers. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. It's good to, uh, it's good to have you both. You know, y'all, uh, the two of you were just exchanging that, you know, I think more often than not, <laughs> you two either see each other bumping into each other in airports or we see each other at conferences and hallways and and those sorts of things. So it's it's actually really good just to get a little time to hang out and uh, and just chat. So I'm really, really thankful for both of your time. Uh, also joined by Ronnie Richard of RKD Group, uh, our head of content. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, Justin, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. So, um, yeah, so here we are. So the the reason why we wanted to get everybody together was to talk about Gen X. And, uh, you know, our KD group has this study that we've put out on Gen X. And so really wanted to talk about it through a lens of both digital, but also through a lens of um, you know, how your life experiences uh, start to navigate some of your behaviors and choices. And why I find that so wonderful with the two of you is because you, you both hit like right in the line of the, the target demo for the study, but in different spots. Uh, so one of the main findings uh, that, that you may have seen with the study is that there is an older Gen X and a younger Gen X, and they're two different people. And uh, and so, you know, depending on where you fall in your household, how you felt growing up, older siblings, younger siblings, et cetera, as well as your own age, it can all influence your own patterns and behaviors and attitudes and beliefs, which can then in turn influence how you connect with nonprofits. So I think we're in store for a really good conversation. But just at the start, uh, I want to have Jared and Tim share your journeys of how you got to where you are and uh, and kind of what it is that you focus on right now as it relates to, to nonprofits. So Tim, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Tell us your journey and how you got here. So first of all, how old do you think I am? If I'm considered the old Gen Xer, I mean, I don't know if I, I want to be part of this, this party. I mean, it's the salt and pepper, man. It's the salt and pepper. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Or like an older Gen Xer. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. So yeah, my, my, my journey, like, like probably most of us uh, on this call today into the nonprofit space was, uh, I guess, a very indirect one. So I graduated from college right after 9-11, desperately wanted to work in the field of marketing and advertising, but nobody was hiring. Um, and I had great connections. I worked at a country club all during high school and college. And, you know, I went with and met with the, I guess, the head of the he was the president of the country club and he was the, the the president of the second largest ad agency in Pittsburgh. He's like, man, I'd love to hire you, but we just laid off 30 people. Can't help you. Right. So ended up um, just kind of putzing around, uh, picking up some freelance projects. And I started an interactive marketing company, did that for about five years. Um, and then just really wanted to do something that actually mattered. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was achieving like some, I mean, small level of success, but it was really, more interested in significance. So I went and uh, worked for a nonprofit ministry down in South Florida. I was there for about 18 months. Uh, the day I got there, the head of the ministry had a heart attack, which it's important to point out in this point in the story that correlation is not causation, at least I hope not. Um, so hopefully I'm not the reason <laughs> why he went away. But um, 
that's where I kind of discovered that there's basically like these agencies that work with nonprofits. And we worked with one based out of Dallas called KMA Direct Communications. You all know Tom McCabe. And Tom said, why don't you come to Dallas? You know, we've been doing direct mail for 30 years and we'd always wanted to start a digital fundraising division. Maybe you could do that for us. So that's how I got to Dallas in 2008. I was there for about two and a half years. We got acquired by another agency. And through that time at KMA and the other agency, I just really became obsessed with trying to understand how do you optimize the online giving experience. Um, and that kind of led me on this quest to go and learn more about conversion rate optimization and decision science and testing and all that fun stuff. And, and that's kind of what led me to uh, Next After here today. How, when did you guys start Next After? Uh, there's two kind of start dates. So like uh, about six months after I got to KMA, I was like, this sucks. You know, I wasn't happy and turned out it was not like a problem with the company. It was a problem with Tim. Uh, so I actually set up next after LLC in January, 2009. Um, and it laid dormant for several years. And then it was in May of 2012 that I left to just okay. to, to pursue it full time. Yeah, yeah. That's about the time that we met and connected and, um, you know, follower of all of the content that you guys put out and and love your work and love that we are neighbors. I mean, you know, the the fact that there's this hub in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, especially in North Dallas, the Frisco Plano area of so much good digital work that happens here that benefits nonprofits all over the place. I think it's incredible. Uh, Jared, now I want to tell your journey, but I'd like for you to tell it. (laughs) Because I've oh, heard you, you introduce yourself so many I know. times that I could do it, but you go ahead, tell your journey. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be as, as exciting as um, uh, Tim's, but you know, I, I when I had graduated school, I, I was convinced, you know, I wanted to to go into marketing and advertising, and I had um, you know big big dreams and aspirations, and uh, I, I found my way uh, to Dallas after after graduating. And uh, just through some some connections, I ended up um, uh, finding this this really uh, amazing organization uh, that I began working with, uh, a nonprofit here in Dallas. And uh, I just was was drawn to spend some time there. And uh, and I I got a chance to spend about two years there. you know, being a part of the the great work that they're doing, and another uh, really positive takeaway out of that, I met my wife uh, while while working at that organization. So it was a, a double win, and and loved to be a part of that. Loved being a part of that, and you know, it, it kind of was drawn back to uh, my my original objectives of you know I want to you know get into to marketing or advertising. I'd love to be in an agency environment. And decided to start um, kind of pursuing that, and was was looking around, and I, I stumbled uh, across a uh, uh, marketing and fundraising agency that had a, a digital practice called IS Seven, and uh, really kind of began my my career in this space where it ended up kind of connecting two worlds, you know, a passion of, of helping uh, people and being a part of nonprofits, but you know, pursuing kind of this idea of um, you know, exploring human behavior and what drives and motivates people to to take action. And one of the things that uh, really got me excited, similar to, you know, as Tim was talking about, um, uh, you know, kind of being obsessed on how to, to, to make this this better. You know, I kind of got really obsessed by what I think is a significant challenge in our space. And I, I've shared this with 
countless people we've interviewed over the years of coming from the commercial space where I say, um, you know, you're, you're coming from a, uh, a marketing or advertising background where you were selling, you know, something to drink, something to eat, something to drive, something to, uh, you know, uh, um, play with, whatever it may be. And um, that's challenging. Uh, that uh, that comes with its fair share of obstacles. But uh, when you come here, you're going to, you know, we're going to try to help you and you're going to use your skills to try to encourage people to give their money to something and all they're going to get back is the idea that they made a difference that they did something right you know if we've done our job well and you know i said if, if once you can do that then you can go somewhere else and and it's going to be so much easier to to market and advertise if you can you know if you have something to to, to offer and as part of the transaction beyond a feeling and so it's just been it's been really uh, fun and exciting on this journey, you know, over the last 15 years of, of kind of exploring that and learning that. And um, one last thing is that I, I would just say is, especially in the past year plus with the pandemic, to, to get a chance to be exposed to how generous people are. And, and there's so much more we can do to engage that, but we've seen su such amazing outpouring of generosity uh, from, from people around the country. And so to, to be able to connect that and see how people will move and will act if you can do a good job of linking them up with causes and organizations that they're passionate about. So that's my story. It's a great journey. And, um, and, you know, have been blessed to be alongside it at least for the last 10 years. Uh, Tim, I like to, to say that, you know, Jared had left somewhere along the way and did a a tour of duty uh, elsewhere and then came back to the agency space. And I started actually the day before him. So I'm, I'm older and more mature uh, and know 24 hours more than Jared about uh, about this place. But uh, but obviously between the two of you, there's a lot of uh, of digital prowess that uh, that we could tap into. I want us to turn our conversation towards Gen X uh, and and start with this lofty question of do you think that it has been historically overlooked by nonprofits? Has it been a focus? Has it not been a focus? W what do you think and, and why? Jared, let's let's start with you. Yeah. So when we um, had kind of embarked on this study, I, you know, got me thinking about this idea. And, you know, I think most would agree that that Gen X is a forgotten. I think it's forgotten within the, the fundraising space, but also, you know, as we, we've looked around and studied, I think it's forgotten in the, the commercial space in a lot of ways, too, as, as far as focusing on that generation. And I, I couldn't help but think that one of the reasons why is that uh, for a lot of nonprofits in particular, they've had this large base of, of, of donors that have been supporting them for years that, you know, made up of the boomers and silent generation. And so they're extremely thoughtful of them. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, probably about uh, 10 years ago, organizations said, we got to get younger. And so younger immediately meant millennials. And the, the, the really ironic thing is a lot of the key leaders that were having those conversations, making those decisions, were Gen Xers themselves. And so we so easy to forget about ourselves within that context of, well, what about my generation? What about the people that, uh, you know, uh, are, are a huge opportunity in front of us that we're not necessarily focused on and, uh, you know, we're not accounting for because, and I think it's because 
as Gen Xers, we don't feel we don't feel old, <laughs> we don't feel young. <laughs> you know, we're we're right in between. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be the path to getting our, our donor base significantly younger, but I'm obviously not this old aging out group either. And uh, we kind of forget ourselves. Hmm. Tim, what would you say to that? Yeah, I, I, I will, I'm so glad you did the study because it's something that I've been like curious about forever. I'm like, man, what about Gen X? What about us? Right? And I have a slightly different theory as to why it's been overlooked. Um, if you think about it, a lot of the stuff that we do in the nonprofit space kind of like follows what happens in the commercial space, right? And you see how like technology has kind of like moved so quickly and they've really focused on trying to market to this millennial group. And I think that uh, the nonprofits just kind of adopted that wholesale, right? Like we kind of take a lot of the things that happen in the for-profit space and we just adopt it and adapt it for our nonprofit world. But if you look at the numbers, I, I remember like a few years ago, well, back in 2013, like BlackBot did their, um, you know, their generation of giving study or whatever, then they refreshed it a couple years ago. And actually, Gen X is the second largest giving group, right? I mean, and, and they're not that much smaller than the millennials. I mean, I think uh, if I remember the numbers, it was like, you know, boomers and matures are like 41% of total giving. But Gen X was 23% and millennials were like 14%. So it was a, it's a pretty big difference there. So if we think about it from the nonprofit perspective, you shine a, a light on this, I mean, I think is really, really important because, you know, based on some of the data that I've seen from the pr preliminaries you put out there, I mean, the, the Gen Xers are, are probably prime to be perhaps the most generous generation. Yeah, I, I think that the rise of wealth and as you're saying, the the sheer numbers themselves. I mean, not just as a giving cohort, but as a cohort overall, the fact that they are on par with millennial in size. And that was the other attraction commercially was, mm -hmm. wow, look at this massive influx of millennials into the workforce. We've got to go after them. We've got to you know, understand how they want to behave at work, understand how to market to them, all of those things. And you're right, it it has, uh, it's, it's further, alienated Gen X as uh, as a part of it. The thing that I find interesting is that um, maybe within pockets of nonprofits, they always had a Gen X marketing strategy. They just didn't realize it in advance because that is something that, you know, the, the walk run uh, and some of the, the initial peer-to-peer uh, you know, campaigns, those were definitely in that, that frame of mind. But I, I, I just believe that, that there's a lot of, like you said, there's a, there's almost like this unvoiced choice to not market to them. And the reasons, you know, well, they're, they're raising kids, so they're not going to give, <laughs> right. Which doesn't mean they're not going to engage, but they're raising kids. So they're not going to give They're they're, you know, paying for cars and they're paying for college and those sorts of things. And, and, the data doesn't prove any of that out anecdotally, right? So we are kind of cutting off our nose to spot our face, Jared. Yeah, and, and I wanna comment on kind of the two the two points that you made. I mean, Tim, your, your point about how Gen Xers are giving and, and Justin, you talk about the, the strategies that are happening. And I think that's one of the things that really sticks out to me is I think we've kind of fallen into marketing to some Gen Xers while we weren't necessarily intentional or strategic about it, which has helped lean into some of that giving that you're talking about, Tim. And, you know, right. they, they've absolutely been a, a huge resource for nonprofits. 
uh, we just have not been as intentional. And, and I think sometimes it's it's tied to um, we've kind of fallen into it because of the strategies being a little bit behind, like mm-hmm. you were noting. And so, I mean, you think about over the last, um, you know, I'll call it uh, five to 10 years where nonprofits have really said, well, you know what, we, we got to think about millennials. We're going to engage with millennials. Uh, where do we need to be if we're going to get millennials? We're going to go to social. We're going to go to Facebook. And and so the thought millennials and I'm going to go get them and this is our strategy. And it's like, you know what, you 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 kind of missed the wave of millennials, but you know, uh, I think the last study I'd seen, 95% of Gen Xers are on Facebook and, and they're spending three plus hours on their mobile device. So when organizations have thought that they were kind of going after millennials with some of these strategies, they were actually uh um, getting the Gen Xers, but they weren't probably as strategic in their their um, content choices and their engagement choices. And so, what more couldn't can it be if we actually are really thinking of the right audience as we as we implement some of these strategies? Hmm. Excellent. And that you know, I find that incredibly interesting because one of the things you know, we're, we're obviously our team, um, our analytics team at RKD looks. At all kinds of factors, you know, as as we're we're looking at what donor behavior is, and one that's kind of emerging through the pandemic is that a lot of Gen X donors really stepped up to give during the pandemic. But then, as we get further into it, a few more months later, we're having this this trouble kind of retaining them and, and keeping them around and getting them to give second and third and fourth gifts, like some of the baby boomers and silent generation are giving. So you know, thinking about that, like what maybe we're accidentally reaching them, but what, what are some strategies and some approaches maybe that we could have to to connect better with Gen X? Yeah, I mean, I think um, this is why we've seen kind of this boom in digital donor acquisition is because of exactly what you said, Jared, like they all are on Facebook and so are the boomers, by the way, like, you know, they're, so I'm, my wife and I are posting pictures and then grandma and grandpa are going and looking and engaging with those pictures. Right. So like, that's how we actually stay connected to our family and share, share what's happening and going on. And you think about it, it's like, I mean, it, it's kind of like a, a digital fundraiser's dream come true because it's like I've got my audience, I can reach them. And then, you know, because of the way that Facebook advertising works, like we can micro test everything and figure out what is the exact right recipe and offer to kind of get these people to engage, get them to give, and then ultimately get them to commit to a recurring gift, which is how we really retain them. I mean, that's that's some of the things that we've been seeing to be really most effective with that audience is trying to get them into that recurring giving relationship. The, uh, you know, the thing about the, one of the things that came out of the study was that Gen X is two subgroups. And I mentioned it earlier. So there's older Gen X, which we've called the hometown heroes. And so th- this group they act a little boomerish, a little bit. They've got, you know, they've got an analog base, right? That analog foundation and perspective. Uh, and they're particularly interested in impact, like local impact. That's a thing that drives the, the older Gen X, these hometown heroes. And so about 73, 74 is that line, right? Post that, so 74 to 83 in, in terms of a birth year, that's when you get into the naturalist. And what marks this naturalist, this younger Gen X, is 
they're actually far more interested in kind of global impact versus local impact. And by global, it's things like animal welfare, environmental causes. There's a pretty significant dip in uh, or fall off of their contributions to houses of worship versus the older Gen X. So there's there is this kind of divide that happens uh, around, you know, the time where you see the rise of the Internet and how it plays into the lives of these two folks. So the older Gen X, you know, they would have seen the Internet come about uh, in college or in their first job. Younger Gen X would have seen it come about middle school, high school. And that changes the way that they they behave and act. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, because you, you mentioned, yes, Facebook is this fertile ground and lots of social media is a very fertile ground. But how do you wrestle with that that divide between two different audience groups or perceptions? And how does that play out into our marketing strategies? I mean, I think for us, it's like giving them different calls to action of, of ways that they can actually get engaged. So like the, the older Gen Xers and the boomers, uh, we find that they tend to be people that are actually interested in, in you know, in engaging their mind. So like they, they want to they continue to enrich themselves. They're lifelong learners. And so giving them things that actually are meaningful content, like, you know, an ebook or an online course or something that actually kind of like fulfills this idea that I am you know, uh, committed to continuing to enrich my body of knowledge where the younger people, it's more, it's a different kind of call to action. It's more of like an advocacy kind of thing or activist type of you know role or opportunities to, to participate in, in, in some sort of like virtual event or something like that is, is a, it's a different way to kind of get those people on board. Yeah. That's really fascinating, Tim, because you mentioned they like receiving eBooks and things like that. When we look at the study, uh, one of the questions we asked was, I like receiving exclusive content that reports back on the work of the organization. 55% of baby boomers responded that they like that. 42% of older Gen Xers like that, but only 22% of younger Gen Xers and 26% of millennials. So clearly divide there. So that's that's really interesting that you're seeing it as well. Well, it's it's and it's it's an interesting way that we could begin to build segmented audiences. So, like based on this data that you have now, like we know who we have based on what they're kind of responding to. So it's kind of like a really, I mean, this is this is blowing my mind. I'm I'm really pumped to start experimenting with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and one of the things that um, really jumped out to me when we were thinking about content, you know, like you mentioned, Ronnie that content consumption. And I think the idea of Gen X being lumped into a single category has a lot of, you know, a lot of other studies I've seen with it lumped into a single category creates mixed results. So, you, you know, use another example of this. Um, I, I found the, the top 10 favorite brands of Gen Xers. And, and tell me, you know, I'm gonna, I'll name just a couple and tell me if it seems a little off to you if you try to think of it as a single category. The number one um, rated brand of Gen Xers, or excuse me, number two was Amazon. But number nine was Walmart. Hmm. I mean, that's that, that's a pretty different type of, of group. And, and something tends to make me think that it might be older Gen X, younger Gen X, but they're getting merged together into a single category. And so both show up in this this top 10. I mean, you see that, uh, you know, they there's a mixture of Apple and Netflix, but then you also have, uh, you know, uh, Ford and you have Walmart and you have Nike and some some more legacy brands. And so there's just this 
this mixture. And I think there's an opportunity from a content perspective, just like Tim said, you start segmenting, you start thinking about different ways that, that you can engage and interact with them. And then I think there's another thing we can do from a content perspective and, and really stealing this from the commercial sector, um, uh, really building and playing off of uh, Gen Xers uh, nostalgia, you know, Gen Xers love that. And, you know, you think about the the reboots of movies and you think about, uh, you know, uh, since I just mentioned uh, Netflix and you got uh, Stranger Things and how that just, you know, brings in and pulls, you know, Gen Xers because it, it you know, feels like they're uh, re-engaging with their childhood. I think there's a lot of things we can do that actually can bring all of Gen Xers together when we think about some uh, uh, playing off of some of that nostalgia, but then starting to segment out when we think about content and, and ways that, that, that are, they're going to be passionate about. And, and the one last thing I'd add, you know, especially on that line of Amazon and Walmart and, and understanding, you know, kind of these, these two different worlds, the brick and the mortar versus the e-commerce. And the fact of the matter is I do think Gen Xers uh, have a blend of those preferences and they, they're, they're what they like you know, that's different than millennials and that's different than baby boomers. And what we really try to focus on doing when we think about channel communication uh, for, for our audiences is, you know what, there are some individuals that, uh, that and possibly, you know, you might label this the younger Gen Xers where it's like, you know what, let's go really heavy with, with digital communication only. But there's a huge opportunity to have that mixture of communication, especially for Gen Xers and potentially the older Gen Xers, where you say, what's the opportunity to engage the, with them in what seemingly might be a little bit more traditional channels, you know, whether it's a, a postcard in the mail or whether it's the, the events like you're talking about, uh, Justin, uh, earlier. I think there's ways that we can really tap into this market that's going to appeal to them. Yeah, I think always, we could always just embed like uh, like MIDI songs in the background of landing pages that, you know, play 90s, you know, 90s hits. So the, that, that always there's works. something to that. There is definitely <laughs> something to that. The nostalgia angle. <laughs> you know, it's the if we could just to start distributing the double CD uh, with donation, like that's the premium. If we're sending them, you know, sending some CDs, maybe laser discs. If it's a really high value yeah. gift, we actually send some laser discs. You got to have about five of those laser discs, though, when you get midway through the movie. Big uh, uh, cliffhanger. Switch out the disc, put it in. Put the new one on. Okay, so so kind of the, the last area that that I think that we should explore as a part of our conversation is is specific to the impact of the pandemic and what this has meant. So not in the study, but a study that I've been talking about quite a bit related to it is it was summer of, of last year where McKinsey uh, said that digital adoption had increased seven years in about five months. Awesome. And it is. It's fantastic, right? And so digital adoption. So you think about like what does seven years mean in digital like, what does that mean in terms of digital adoption? And and then you go to everyday life and how it looks different now, right? For years, the Tim, Jared, uh, Justin, we were trying to figure out how, the QR codes actually, would they actually ever mean something here in the States? And now they do. Now if they you like really to go to a restaurant and order from a menu. Right, right. So there's there's that. But also the rise in, you know, seeing the, um, you know, the the daily email from the USPS, right? So, uh, so that you can see what you, what is coming to your mailbox that day, right? In your inbox, you get the scans, and the subscriptions that have gone up for that. You know, what? What do you think the last year has meant 
for Gen X in terms of their connection to nonprofits? Uh, and, and what does that mean for you when you think about your clients going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that 2020 gave us a much needed violent shove into digital transformation. And, you know, one of the challenges always for us in the nonprofit space is that we don't have the same resources as for-profit commercial enterprises, right? And so a lot of the things that our donors are able to do, we really rely upon the for-profit space to spend the billions and billions of dollars to train the marketplace to adopt a different way of behaving. But since we were all in the same boat last year, it just, it all kind of re like really happened. Like, like to your, you, you mentioned the, the QR codes, which I think is so funny. I remember when they first came out, I was like the biggest, I was like, this is going to change direct mail forever. We can have somebody like pull up a video of somebody giving a story of something. And, you know, they can actually have this dynamic multi kind of channel experience through the mail and and then everyone's like, how do I do this thing? I need a special app. And like, they are all different. They didn't work. And, you know, all that stuff has been smoothed out now, which is really kind of cool. So, I, I, I mean, between that, the virtual kind of meeting thing, like, you know, I mean, it was really interesting to see how nonprofit organizations kind of lean into this idea. Okay, we can't have our traditional fundraising event. And they started pivoting and experimenting with these different virtual events. We, you know, our <laughs> the conference that we host every year. You know, we had to go and turn it into a virtual event. And so we're like, well, how do we make it as awesome of a virtual event as we possibly can? And, you know, I mean, it's still, there's still, I, I'm, look, I, I'm a digital guy. I'm a Gen Xer. I guess I'm an old Gen Xer, right, Justin? But um, I, I still value deeply, like, the human to human connection, right? And, and that's something that we've uncovered through all of our research. It's something that, you know, you and I have talked about for years is that, you know, look, people don't give to websites. They don't give to email campaigns. People give to people. And so, yes, we all now kind of know how to use all this stuff. But at the same time, we have to find ways to continue to humanize it so it doesn't become mechanical, formulaic, and it doesn't kind of leave the donor feeling uh, I guess less valued or less engaged or less connected to the the aspect of the relational component to you know being a donor, right? I mean, like that's that's a special kind of experience. So, uh, you know, we 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 did our little study thing last year where we were looking at you know using our mystery donor data, and um, you know we saw that every single month of the of the year compared to 2019 and 2020 the volume of email communication went up, right? Which means like digital was the lifeline for donors, you know, and you probably saw like the, the charitable giving reports that have come out and, you know, yes, overall giving went up 2%, but digital went up 21%. And for the first time ever, it was more than 10%, 13% of total giving last year. So I think that's just really good news. And it probably points to something that, you know, we've all talked about forever, this idea of moving to some sort of digital first type of fundraising strategy, where digital is not this thing that we bolt on to our, you know, our existing program, but it's put in a position where it can lead. Um, and I'm excited just to see, you know, how nonprofits embrace that. We have some of our clients are doing that. I'm on the board of uh, this organization and they've committed to that over the last five years. And now 43% of their total revenue comes from digital. Uh, they increased their digital giving last year 69%, which was huge, you know? So it's like, and they're, you know, a $28 million organization. So it's not small amount of revenue. So I think you're going to see more and more of that, honestly. That's so awesome. Jared, what would you add there? Yeah, I mean, I, I typically, you know, try to... Um, 
break things out into two categories. You have your uh, technology or channel adoption, and then you have your content. And so, you know, from the technology or, or channel side of things, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, like like Tim mentioned, that that ad- adoption of, of activity, whether and, and how behavior was forced to change, and it was driven in large part by individuals' commercial uh, experiences. You know, I, I couldn't go to the, the store, so I had to order things online. The bank wasn't open, so I had to start doing my banking online if I was a holdout. You know, my my work, I was forced to do every, you know, Zoom meetings across the board. Now, all of a sudden, that becomes my routine. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is most people weren't just doing that for, you know, a month or two months. People did it for six months or 12 months or still doing it, you know, almost 18 months in. So, I mean, it really does change their behavior. They start adopting, you know, these technologies, which opens up significant doors for us for them to engage. Whereas, you know, before if we want to uh, bring them on a, a real virtual experience uh, to understand what our mission's uh, about, you know, there's there's a healthy percentage of Gen Xers that 18 months ago would have been like, you know what, I'm out. I don't need to sit in front of a, a Zoom meeting or a, a virtual experience like that, uh, you know, this afternoon. And now it's second nature. And so I think that we really want to lean in to how the, those behaviors have changed from a, a, a technology standpoint and some of the, the channel adoption that that's come up. From a content perspective, I think that, you know, one of the things we, we've observed, uh, once again, from both nonprofit and commercial spaces, the amount of digital content consumption just, you know, blew, blew uh, through the roof uh, during the pandemic as people were searching out uh, ways that they could engage with new things. And you had people, um, you know, watching more video online, listening to more content than ever before. And I think that for us, it's trying to say how as as nonprofits, how from a fundraising perspective do we intersect with that? I mean, clearly people are craving content. And what that means, and, and we we touched on this a little bit earlier about that, that context and what some people want, you know, what some of the older Gen Xers want. Um we have an opportunity to share a lot with them. And if we can do it in an engaging way, if we can do it in a way that that feels like it's true content consumption and they just weren't advertised to, they just weren't marketed to via this email or, or through a, a landing page that it, that's transactional, but it's engaging, it's informative, it's content that they want to consume. There's a huge opportunity out there. But, you know, how do we do it in such a way that's appealing to Gen Xers? And, you know, that's where I, I kind of go back to the, um, you know, the fun things we can do, whether it's, uh, uh, nostalgic things, or like Tim said, whether it's music things, what are things that we can engage with that really play off of the type of content that these these uh, audiences want and they're craving? Mm. Good stuff. Uh, just hey, as we as we wrap, um, I just want to know what's what's coming down the pike for the two of you. I want to, you know, Tim, I want you to talk a little bit about you know Neo this year and and what's happening there. Jared, I want you to share a little bit of uh, what's on your radar and, and what you're thinking about for the next. You know, six months uh, with you know with, with what you're seeing. So yeah. So Jared, what what's uh what's next? What's what's next for you? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously spent a bit of time talking about uh, the pandemic and talking about the generosity and and like Tim mentioned the the significant increase in digital giving and really what we're we're talking with organizations about is. Um, don't allow this to be just a blip on the radar. This, this should not be the um, the earthquake, the hurricane that you got a big spike in donations and then you kind of fall right back down to your um, your previous norm. 
you know, we, we had a significant outpouring of generosity. We had people coming onto the digital channel. We had Gen Xers giving uh, when they, they might have been slow to give before, and now they're, they're on board. Uh, how do we actually engage with these individuals? How do we treat them like humans? <laughs> Thanking them, acknowledging them, making them know that, uh, you know, as, as new donors, as, as new individuals in this, this philanthropic space, that they're a part of something that makes a difference and really treating them uh, in a, a very intentional way. You know, they're not just a part of your uh, 100,000 emails that you have, and they're not a part of your just uh, large advertising budget that you might pick, you know, pick off a few through it, but we're gonna be intentional about retaining these donors and really increasing their long-term value for your organization so your mission can be more impactful. So we're, we're looking at segmentation, we're looking at those donor journeys, we're looking at new content and ways to, to really deepen their, their affinity uh, to the causes that they, they started interacting with during the pandemic. Tim, yeah, tell yeah, us about Neo. Yeah, so, so Neo's heard in Austin. Um, the theme this year is Willy Wonka, so Chocolate River and the whole nine, it should be pretty wild. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm just happy to, to actually, you know, be back in person. I think we've got a lineup of probably some of the best speakers that we've ever had. You know, I mean, part of our idea with that whole thing is how do we get some, um, you know, some more of like what's happening on the bleeding edge of for-profit digital marketing into the nonprofit space. So usually like the majority of our speakers actually come from the for-profit space and, um, yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to that this year. Uh, but just to kind of I guess piggyback on what Jared said, yeah, in a word, what we're focused on as a company is retention, right? So we spent the last you know five or six years or whatever proving that digital is a very viable channel to acquire donors at scale, and and now it's like okay, well, how do we also use digital to increase the um, relationship the donor has between the organization um, and the cause? and get them to continue to stay for the long term. And there's different ways that we can kind of motivate people to give, right? We can do certain things that kind of game the system. We get quick wins and, you know, that that's not really necessarily the best thing for the donor. Like, so we've been working with the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy in the UK, uh, Adrian Sargent, Jen Shang, and uh, we're trying to take a lot of the stuff they're doing in philanthropic psychology and like, you know, turn it into testable things that we can try online to try to build donor well-being and actually go for not, What's going to generate the most revenue today, but what's actually going to generate the most um, you know, revenue over the lifetime of the donor? I mean, I know that it's something that we talk about all the time. We talk about with our clients and everybody's on board with the idea of lifetime value. But yet the decisions we make, you know, oftentimes are um, <laughs> at odds with that. Right. We're still kind of like living hand to mouth and. Uh, addicted to our direct response kind of mindset. So I think that that's something that as an industry, you know, that's something we should all be focusing on. And I'm glad to hear that uh, collectively, you know, both of our our agencies are, are really kind of moving in that direction. So that's awesome. Gents, I, I uh, it wasn't just lip service at the beginning. I really do think that you're two of the brightest in the space. And so uh, it, as evidenced by our conversation and, and what, you shared with Ronnie and I. It's just uh, it's awesome to hear and uh, and and uh, glad that you have been able to dig into the study and, and enjoy it and super excited. One that it jazzes you to go back and try some things with clients, but also Willy Wonka's a Gen X thing. So you know you know the the old school like OG 
Willy Wonka, that's definitely, you know, you're already building some nostalgia with your marketing um, uh, that that we appreciate, certainly. So I'm just trying to live out like every uh, one of my wildest fantasies from my youth. So, so this is one of them. Check the box. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, listen, thank you both for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, it, it's been um, it's been a joy. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the time. All right, so there's the episode with Tim Kachuriak and Jared Schrimmer talking about that digital divide and talking about Gen X. Uh, a super interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, really the things that stand out to me are the relationship between understanding personas and then how you put that into place in terms of a marketing standpoint, uh, what that does in terms of your targeting aspect, and really the intense number of new ways that we can target and understand donors and test opportunities. I mean, you know, these guys are strategists and, and I felt like they uh, they opened up their, their quiver in some ways and just offered a number of different ideas of things that people could test and understand related to their targeting and specifically about getting into younger donor bases like Generation X. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, be sure to follow us at RKD Group. Uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also check out Group Thinkers on Twitter and Facebook. You can always um, follow us there, continue the conversation, let us know what you think about the episode. Mention at the outset, but be sure to jump onto RKD Group's website and download the study. It's available at rkdgroup.com slash Gen X. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for checking it out. We'll, uh, we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but it's the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.